The danger is that in the valley, we, be, we can become bitter and a valley can turn into a pit. We can stop looking beyond. We can stop hoping, stop trusting, stop believing in what God has promised to do and stop believing in who God is in the midst of our circumstances. Well, today we are concluding our series, How God Shapes a Person for Impact. And uh, as we've gone through this series, we've been saying all along that, that God often will work in those quiet moments of our lives before we uh, are in those positions where uh, people are watching. And, and often when we don't recognize that, we assume our heroes are born ready. We assume that people were just always like that. And so we've, we've gone back to those early days of Moses' life, right from his birth on up to uh, now as he has just made his first, uh, his first conversation, the first step with uh, approaching Pharaoh. And we're trying to understand how, does God, how could God be working in our lives today to help prepare us uh, for what he might be doing in and through our lives tomorrow. Now, I don't know how you have uh, experienced this, this truth, but you would think that if we try to do everything that God has asked, everything that he has, uh, had, has commanded of us, you would think that life would go smoothly. And yet, that isn't always the, the, the way things work out. Uh, in my own life, I've experienced both the blessing of obedience uh, there, there is blessing in following God and doing what he says, but I've also experienced the incredible difficulty of the walk of faith and the challenges that come with it. Uh, for, for me, when I, uh, I first, I, as I think about Moses' story here, I, I relate to it at so many different levels. Uh, when I first felt God calling me to serve him as a missionary, I I resisted and struggled with that invitation, that calling that he placed on my life. Uh, it took me months before I made a timid uh, response of uh, responding to what God had asked me to do. After that, I would, you would think, okay, then it was, it's going to go very smoothly. Uh, seven years preparation here in Canada two years full-time language study, a year uh, interning in a Japanese church. Then we moved to the city where we were going to begin the church plant, two years full-time pre-evangelism, evangelism, reaching people, ministering to more than 100 people a week in various different ministries and activities. Then we were leading up to the launch of our first church service. We had... Uh, small group meetings in all kinds of different locations, preparing people for what was to come. Uh, we hand-delivered 10,000 flyers. We rented a huge billboard right in the center of town. And when our first church service came, not a single person from the community came to that, that, that first Sunday morning. And... That experience changed me. It, it, it forced me, you can't help but be forced to think about 
what am I doing? What is God doing? What is this all about? And it not only changed how I looked at that calling that God had placed on my life, um, but it changed how I looked at the other struggles in my life. It changed how I looked at struggles to, uh, to read the Bible and to pray, struggles to share my faith and do effective ministry, uh, struggles with, with work, struggles with health. There's different struggles that are a part of the life of faith. It changed how I looked at them. And in retrospect, it was during that time that God taught me the very principles that I see God teaching Moses in our passage today. And so if you have ever found yourself asking the question, I'm doing everything you ask me, Lord, why isn't it going more easily? Why isn't it smoother? Then I hope that today's passage will be one that you reflect on and come back to. So uh, we need to start by actually reading the passage. And uh, so if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 5, verse 20. It's on page 45 uh, of the Black Church Bible in the rack in the seat in front of you. And I'm going to read from Exodus 5.20 until chapter 6, verse 9. Exodus chapter 5, verse 20, page 45. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send, you, send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they have lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians sold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say there to the, therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. This is the word of God. Now we're given three things in this passage to help us to make it through life's valleys. And again, I hope that they are principles that you can come back to and reflect on. Let's consider the first. Know that trials are part of the package. If you're going to take a step to follow God, well, you need to recognize that Satan is going to seek to oppose that step. That he doesn't let go of people without a fight, and that that fight continues, that there is this battle 
between you seeking to follow him and uh, the opposition that Satan will seek to put in your path. So know that trials are part of the package. Now, earlier in the chapter, we didn't read from, the, from chapter, chapter 5, verse 1, but if you go back there, you see that we have uh, Moses and Aaron making their first appearance before Pharaoh. Uh, they asked to let the people go. And as they do that, not only, does, not only does Pharaoh refuse, but he makes life harder, not easier, uh, for the Israelites. From now on, they'll not only have to keep their quotas of bricks, but they'll have to do it by first collecting their own straw. It's like they're flipping burgers at McDonald's, but instead of just having to flip the burgers, they have to raise the cows and slaughter them as well. So you have this extra burden that's making their work cruel and miserable. Moses did everything he was asked, but life has just gotten harder, not only for him, but for the people. And any time that happens... It is only a matter of time before the complaints are going to come. And they bring those complaints. In verse 21, the Israelite foremen confront Moses and Aaron and say, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. The Hebrew there literally reads, you have made foul our odor. And I think that sounds way better. I just... That, that just, any time you want to throw down a, 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 a rebuke against someone, you have made foul our odor. That's, that's the way to do it. This is a biblical approach to things. And Moses wasn't prepared for this. He had been told that Pharaoh's heart would be hard. He hadn't been told about the Israelites. He had probably assumed he's going to be the national hero. He's going to be the deliverer. Yes, it'll be tough with Pharaoh, but the people will be on his side. They'll be celebrating him. He's feeling good about his role. And now he has a nation of people grumbling and complaining and opposing him. And he's faced with the reality that leading people is often a thankless task. Complaints are going to be coming as part of the package. Now, Moses does what the, the Israelites don't do. They complain to him about God. He brings his complaints directly to God. And so we see them in verse 22. He prays, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? Again, he wanted to be the hero deliverer. He thought that it would go easily. He thought that the path would be smooth. God's on my side. God told me to do this. I I resisted at first, but I did what he asked me to do. And he, he's ignoring here the reality of the spiritual battle. If you believe in the God of the Bible, you also need to believe that the, the, the evil spiritual forces and realities that the Bible presents. That making a commitment to pray, to read scripture, to serve, to give, any of the things that God would ask us to do, you purpose in your heart to do them, and Satan will seek to oppose you. He doesn't go down without a fight. There, there are those challenges that come, and, are, uh, and we are not, we are not uh, doing ourselves any favors if we ignore those realities or go into them blindly. Uh, that's, why John, that's why Jesus said in John 16, 33, in me you may have peace, 
in the world you will have tribulation. He set them up and prepared them for what was to come. It's the same warning in 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So it doesn't help to walk blindly into situations. We're warned that there will be opposition, there will be trials, there will be difficulties. And we're better prepared for them if we know that in advance. So first, help for, help for the walking through those life's valleys. We're remembered. Trials are part of the package. But next, we need to understand that knowing God is the point. And we never think that. We think that being successful is the point. Or being comfortable is the point. Being happy is the point. Moses thought that delivering the Israelites was the point. Getting, getting the task done was the point. But that's never the point. Knowing God is the point. Now let me explain why I say that. How do you expect a holy, powerful God to respond to the kind of prayer that Moses has just given him? He's complained to God. He's accused him of doing evil like, he's, he's made some pretty bitter complaints about, about God. But because, because he has brought those complaints to God and recognized God for who he is, you don't see any rebuke or any, any uh, punishment of Moses for what, he, what he's done. Uh, instead, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll look at what God actually says. We're going to look at the broader message, but first I want you to just notice something. Notice how God starts his message to Moses in verse 2. He says, I am the Lord. Then when he tells him to give a message to the Israelites, notice what he says to tell them first. I am the Lord. Then in verse 8, notice how he ends this message to the Israelites. I am the Lord. How would you feel if each week before, at the beginning and the end of my sermon, I, I began and ended it by saying, I'm Paul. Like, unless this is a Guardians of the Galaxy movie and your name is Groot, you don't do that, right? That's, that's just strange. But God regularly does this throughout the Old Testament. He does this and he does it to make the point. The point is that he is the solution to all of our problems. Knowing him is the point. That we are to recognize who he is in the midst of all of our challenges, all of our difficulties, and all of our trials. Now, we want to say, um, God, you've, you've really got to fix this problem. I'm, I'm in real trouble here, Lord. And he says, I'm the Lord. We say, no, but God, you don't understand. This, is, this has got to be dealt with now. I, I've got to fix this. This is, this is really serious. He says, I am the Lord. We keep, we keep arguing with God. No, no, you don't, you don't realize what's going on. Come quickly, quickly. And he says, I am the Lord. And in doing so, he is forcing us to stop and to recognize who he is in our circumstances. To recognize his presence, his power, his plan, his wisdom, his control. To recognize that he is almighty. And often, that, that's the first place that we need to start and the last place that we are naturally inclined to go to.
notice that he doesn't just uh, start with that, but he will, he will continue in that. Now, God is the answer, and he, he is going to give, following this, a series of I will statements. So we're not saying that God is the point means that that's, that's everything. But it, we are saying that that is our, our, our starting point. Recognize who God is in this situation. Notice in verse 7, he says, you shall know that I am the Lord. So I'm going to take you through these circumstances, and through them, you are going to know something about me. You are going to draw near and develop a deeper experience and understanding and appreciation for who I am. That's, that's the point of what we're going through right now. And, and so he, he is doing that to convince them of that, trying to get their attention, trying to draw them deeper into relationship. That's also what's behind uh, a very difficult uh, sentence in, in verse 3. It, it's puzzled scholars. It, it says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not my, make myself known to them. That's puzzled scholars because the name the Lord appears over 100 times in the book of Genesis. It, it, is, it appears frequently on the lips of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But what, what most scholars have concluded is that God isn't saying nobody knew his name. It's saying they didn't know his name the way Moses and the people of Exodus are going to come to know his name through his deliverance. They didn't know the Lord as rescuer. They didn't know the Lord as savior. They knew him as promise maker, Moses and the people of the Exodus are going to experience him firsthand as promise keeper. And so here, they're, they're going to see something like the world has never seen. And it wasn't just for them. It wasn't just for Moses and the Israelites. This was going to be something that, that all of the people uh, would, would, would experience. The world had never experienced anything like this. And so the Egyptians themselves were going to be made to, to stop and see the Lord. That's why it says in Exodus 14, 18, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And so knowing God is the point. That, that's what he is doing in our circumstances. That's what he is doing through our trials, uh, through the suffering that we inevitably go through. He wants to know us more deeply. It's also one of the reasons that we pray. We pray so that as many people as possible can see and look and watch for what God is doing, so that when he acts, we can grow to a deeper knowledge and understanding of who he is. It isn't just about getting God to do what we want him to do, although that's a part of it. We are aligning ourselves with his will, his purposes, drawing deeper into an understanding of who he is. And so I just want to challenge you, next time you find yourself in one of these Moses kind of valleys with it feels like the world is against you, in the midst of that trial, in the midst of that suffering, to say, you're the Lord. To pray, you're the Lord, and I want to know you more deeply through this. And next time you find yourself on the receiving end of 
the, the kinds of, of, of things that they were going through. When the pharaoh in your life is, is increasing your quota and making you find your own, your own straw. When, when that happens, to say, you're the Lord, and I want to know you more deeply through this. To, to lean into him. If we recognize that's what he is about, that's the point, then let's lean into that point. Let's look to him in prayer. Let's look to him in his word. Let's seek to grow in our understanding of who he is and what he wants to teach us. Now, when we held that first church, church service, I wanted a room full of people. I wanted people to rush forward and trust in Jesus and that we'd, you know, right out of the gates, we'd have this easy uh, gathering of church and and I think I wanted something that I could take credit for, something that I could manage, something that, that was in, under my power and under my control. And through that circumstance, God was very clearly teaching me something different. He was teaching me that he is the Lord. He's the one that's in control. He was teaching me that apart from me, you can do nothing. Teaching me that I need to depend on him. Teaching me that the task is never the point. Knowing him is the point. And those lessons that he taught me through that time were more valuable to me now than me getting my way then. What he was, what he was doing through that, that initial trial, and it wasn't as if that was the final story or the final chapter. God did continue his work, and he did get the glory for himself. But it was through those times of trial and suffering, and you have experienced this, this yourselves, that he reveals things about himself that either we wouldn't see or we, would, we just wouldn't have our eyes open to when times are good and when circumstances come easily. So, we said that knowing God is the point. But to say that, that knowing God is the point isn't to say that knowing God is everything. And because now we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look at uh, from the I am statements to the I will statements. There are seven I will statements from verses 6 to 8. And they give us a a statement of what God is going to do and what we can trust in and expect of him in our circumstances. They give us the final thing we need to make it through the valleys, and that's we need to cling to uh, what God has promised us. Let's start in verse 6. God says, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Now, God promised to rescue the Israelites from a man whose symbol was a snake in order to show and to prove that he alone has the power to deliver us from the oppression of sin and the evil of this world. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he has promised you the redemption that this passage speaks to. He has promised to pay the price to rescue you from sin, to, to bring forgiveness into your life. He has promised to begin that lifelong work of seeking to release sin's hold on your life. Because 
Even once he has forgiven you, there, there is still a sense in which sin continues to pull, continues to have uh, that power in your life. And he, he is committed to that lifelong work of releasing that power, setting us free. Now, our tendency is to take that for granted, to, to just assume that and dismiss that as, yeah, I, that's something I kind of heard when I, when I, I mean, we kind of sing some songs about it sometimes, and yeah, I think that's part of what it was when I became a Christian, but now I want God to deal with the bricks and the hay. And, and yet he wants us to see how central this is. He wants us to live with a sense of gratefulness for what he has accomplished in our redemption and the work that he is doing now to set us free and the future hope when we will be free. So God has promised us redemption. He's also promised us relationship. In verse 7, he says, I will take you to be my people, and, you, and I will be your God. Does that language sound familiar to anyone? I will take you to be my, my people, and I will be your God. At a wedding, I usually say, will you take this man to be your husband? And I'll ask the woman, you know, I'll let, will you take this woman to be your wife? This is covenant language. This is a, a, the, the language of relationship. It's a, the language of commitment. And it is God committing himself to us. He will be our God, and we will be his people. That's... That, that, that's given to us here for those times when we are in the valleys, when it doesn't feel like that, when we can feel alone, when we need someone who is there, who will keep us and be with us until the end. And here, in the strongest possible covenant language, he is committing himself to us and saying, I'm, I'm an in sickness and health kind of God. I will be with you through those valleys and you can lean on me and trust in me and look to me for the relationship that I provide. We may have to bake bricks, but God will be there at our side. He goes before us. So when the trials come, we cling to God's promises, promises of redemption, promises of relationship, and finally, promises of rest. In verse 8, God says, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. Now, as Pharaoh literally began to turn the heat up on the Israelites, it wasn't as if they could forget the bricks. It wasn't as if they could forget the quotas and the trials that they faced. But they were to deliberately push, push their focus forward to what God had promised to do, the inheritance that they had in the promised land. The New Testament has the exact same emphasis. Through faith, we are called to, to look to the inheritance that God has provided to us in Jesus Christ. He, he has promised to all who turn from sin and put their faith in Jesus that we, we can look forward to an eternity in paradise with a God who loves us and with the people that he has redeemed. The, ba the battle will one day finally be over. We'll lay down our burdens. We will be released from the struggles and the trials. And we will be finally at rest, at home, 
free. And it's that joy that's set before us that helps us to endure the cross. It's that joy that was set before Jesus that it helped him to endure the cross, Hebrews 12, 2 teaches us. And, and so we are, we, are given, we are given those promises that we would cling to them, that we would lean into them, that we would find strength in them. And so they're, they're held out before us. I wonder if you've learned how to do that, whether that has become a part of how you relate to God and to the challenges of life. If you look at verse 9, a lot of people don't learn how to do that. Moses delivered this message, and his sermon fell on deaf ears. Verse 9 says, They did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. And I think that's given as a warning to us. The warning is that the danger of valleys is that they can harden us to God's hope. The, the danger is that in the valley we, be, we can become bitter and a valley can turn into a pit. We can stop looking beyond. We can stop hoping, stop trusting, stop believing in what God has promised to do and stop believing in who God is in the midst of our circumstances. And so let me urge you to turn to God for hope this morning, to believe in what he can accomplish and what he has, uh, has promised us in his word. Now, maybe you thought it would be easier. I thought it would be easier. Maybe you thought life would be smoother. I thought life would be smoother. The difficulties are there, and scripture warns us they're part of the package. Satan doesn't let go easily, and he attacks those who turn from him, and he attacks us at each step of obedience that we seek to make. That is is promised to us. But when we turn back to sin, we're choosing slavery over freedom. That means more bricks, less straw, no hope. And, And so let's acknowledge the reality of those trials and seek to learn from what God is seeking to teach us through, through them. And he, and he shows us what, what he is seeking to teach him through them. He, he's seeking to teach us that he is the point of it all. He is what we are to, to lean into, to acknowledge, to, to, to grow in our, in our understanding of, to grow in our appreciation of. The Israelites suffered in Egypt, but they came to know the Lord. And they came to know him in a way that previous generations hadn't. They would come to know the Lord in a way that Abraham didn't, in a way that Isaac didn't, in a way that Jacob didn't. And maybe God is seeking to do that in your trial right now. Seeking to help you to know the Lord in a way that you couldn't have otherwise known him. So if that's what he's seeking to do, then then recognize him in your trial. Remember remember God's I am Groot line and say, you're the Lord in this this circumstance and I want to know you more deeply. I want to draw near. So turn to his word. Turn to him in prayer. Look to him for strength. But as you do, remember, the battle won't last forever. This, This is not a call to stoicism. This is not a call to suck it up and, 
It's just going to go on like this forever. The God who says I am also says I will. And he gives us promises of what he will accomplish. He offers us promises of redemption, of relationship, and rest. And he invites us to lay hold of those promises by faith and make them precious in our sight, to find strength and hope in them. So put your hope in what God has promised to do, not just what you keep telling him to do, because we all keep telling him what we want him to do. He, he sees that. He knows that. He doesn't discount that. But he wants us to find our hope in what he has promised and what he will accomplish. So let's look to him now in prayer. Oh, Father, if we're honest, we wish it wasn't so hard. We wish the path was smoother. But we realize we're in a battle, and we find our comfort in the fact that one day this battle will end in victory. Thank you for understanding everything we're going through. There's nothing we face that Jesus didn't also endure. And that makes us feel less alone when we find ourselves in those valleys. So teach us to know you. Help us to acknowledge that you're the Lord in our hard times. Lead us to your word that we might know you more deeply. Father, you know that we keep praying about the bricks and the hay. And you know about those things and you care about them. But teach us to focus on your promises. Show us how we can find strength in them. Help us to look back on our redemption. Help us to look forward to our rest. And help us to find strength in our relationship. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.